Amen. Great to see you. Wasn't worship awesome? So classy, for sure. Um, Great being with you. We... uh, it's really special to me that Christmas Sunday is on a Sunday, actually. It's kind of rare. We had it once before, and now it's going to be another 11 years, I think, before Christmas comes on a Sunday again. But I don't know what could be more appropriate than to celebrate Christmas on Sunday. So I feel like we're really blessed to be able to do that today. The calendar worked out well for us. Well, last night for our Christmas Eve service... Um, we looked at the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2, and it was, I called the message the night before Christmas, because we were looking at the buildup of what happened up until the point that Jesus was born. And so we looked at it from the standpoint of the world as a whole. What was the condition of the cultural era in which Jesus was born? Because Paul said in Galatians 4, verse 4, that Jesus was born at the perfect time, when the time had been fulfilled. So there was something about the condition of the world that God said, this is a perfect time to send a Savior. And so we reflected a little bit on what the culture was like at that time. And if you study ancient Rome at all, and the days of Caesar Augustus and going back to Julius Caesar, everything that built up there, we looked at the fact that the way the world was so messed up that it really reminds us of today. The Romans were struggling with um, you know, a government that they called a republic, but it was really run by the, the wealthy and powerful people. They, they were, because it was a republic, they had elections, but... They were constantly being accused of rigging the elections and having them not be fair. There was morality was just kind of a anything goes. There was a gender dysphoria, all kinds of things happening within the culture. And so that was the era in which God said, this is a perfect time for me to send my son. We also looked at Joseph and what it was like for him as he he's in love with this young girl and she is with child, and he knows he's not the father. <clears throat> and he's like, I love her, but sorry. And, you know, an angel came to him in a dream and said, don't worry, this is something that's for me. Because he had heard from Mary that she said an angel came to her and told her, you're going to be with child from, from God. But it sounded fishy. But for him, it was like, Okay, I heard from God in a dream. All my buddies think I'm an idiot. And here I am, and I have to do this. And he has to take this journey because, you know, in those days, the people that had to register were the people that had income. They were those who, it's just like today, taxes are paid primarily by the working class. So he had a business, he's trying to get a family going and things like that. Now he has to travel down to his point of origin, Bethlehem, in order to register so that he'll be able to pay taxes. And I talked about last night, what a, how would you like to go back where you came from just for something like that, especially at a heart? Most of us try to stay away from whatever we were raised in, and we try to have a, 
build a life of our own, but he was in that position. Mary, this young girl, all of a sudden she has a baby inside of her and she doesn't understand. She barely knows where babies come from and she knows this one didn't come that way. And so she's wrestling and then they have to go to Bethlehem and it's like 80 to 90 miles depending on the roads at the time. Probably took a donkey to haul their stuff because that was the cheapest transportation. But she has to do that right while she's ready to, to give birth. And the whole thing, it was just so messed up. And then I talked about, what was it like for Jesus? He's God from all of eternity. He is someone who was there. He, he did creation. John says, there wasn't anything that was ever made that was made without him. But now he is, as Paul describes it in Philippians 2, he is emptying himself. And he is putting himself into a position where he'll find out what it's like to be a human. So now he's in his mother's womb. Now, for most Jews still to this day, they believe that you become a person at the point that you take your first breath. But we certainly know in the case of Jesus, that wasn't the case because the Holy Spirit came upon her at the point of conception and there he was. So what is a baby aware of while they're developing? We don't know because they don't have the language skills to describe it. But we know that as children develop within the womb, they respond to their parents' voices. They, you know, they, there are things that make them feel good. When all of a sudden you relax, they're like, hey, what's going on? And they start moving around. So what was it like for Jesus on Christmas Eve? And so reflecting on all of those things brings us to this morning where in Luke 2, we'll pick up after the seventh verse with the actual Christmas morning. So before, it was like the night before Christmas. Now, Today, it's like Christmas is finally here. It's finally Christmas. Remember when you were a kid, you're like, oh, when's it going to come? And finally, the relief that it is Christmas now. Well, that's where we find ourselves. And we have this great story of the shepherds who were out on the fields outside Bethlehem. Really, these fields are right between where the city of Bethlehem is and where the city of Jerusalem is, where the where the tabernacle was for worship and the temple ultimately was built there. And so at this time, probably these shepherds were raising lambs that they would sell for those coming down to Jerusalem to do sacrifices. So that was their job. Now, people always say that it didn't happen December 25th because in the winter it would be too cold for the shepherds to be out there in the fields. But I, that's kind of bogus, really. I mean, it was, it was third century before the Christians said December 25th was the day that Jesus, you know, was born. Um, I think it could have been. The weather in, in Jerusalem is about the same as Orange County. You could be outside. You wear a jacket. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. But the point isn't where it is. The point is, look at what happened. Look at how this went down. Look how God revealed himself to the people of the first century. And so in verse 8, we pick up. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. When we think of shepherds, we kind of glamorize the task, especially because we know David was a shepherd. We know Jesus identified himself as a good shepherd. And so we think of shepherds as being, ooh, 
you know, something really awesome. In their day, shepherds was like the worst job. It was like a step below your entry-level position at McDonald's. I'm sorry if you work at McDonald's. I'm thankful for you. A machine's going to take your place very soon. But, you know, it was like a shepherd was something you did until you got another job. Even with David, remember, he started out, he's a young teenager, and he's a shepherd. But then he became something completely different, and he would still identify as the guy that was a shepherd because he never wanted to forget where he came from. But nobody thought, I'm going to be a shepherd for the rest of my life. That's my career. Because the shepherds, most of them were, they were kind of traveling different places, gypsies, they were... They, they had a reputation of stealing from people and, you know, selling sheep on the side that weren't really theirs. And In fact, in their system, in the court system, a shepherd wasn't even allowed to testify in court. They were like, who would believe what they have to say? So if you had a witness, you better hope it wasn't a shepherd because nobody's going to believe that. Uh, women weren't allowed to testify for the same reason, but that's a whole other issue. But, so here's these shepherds that are there watching their sheep. And it seems like the least likely place for God to say, I want to introduce me into your world. But that's in fact what he chose to do. Behold, verse 9, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around him, and they were greatly afraid. Here's this glowing angel that looked like he was on fire, standing there on the hillside outside Bethlehem. And they're like, oh boy, this cannot be good. This is weird. Are you guys seeing this too? It's one thing when one person hallucinates, but when a bunch of people have the same hallucination, that's a whole different issue for sure. You think something, something's real going on here. But now, there are examples of people who take certain drugs and share the same hallucination, and that's where you think, there's something, the spirit world is definitely punching through here somehow. But they were afraid, as you might expect. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. You know, fear is the type of thing that steals from us everything that we can ever have and everything that we can ever be. Fear is a barrier. That's why the scriptures constantly Fear not, fear not, don't fear, fear not. Because fear always holds us back. There's that one contemporary Christian song that says, fear is a liar. And it's true. That anytime your life begins to spiral, anytime anything is happening in your life that gives you less than, that causes you to settle for something that's really not what you really deserve, it's almost always fear that causes that to happen. I'm afraid of what people think of me, so therefore I will do this. I'm afraid if I wait, this isn't going to happen, so I'm going to take this shortcut. I'm afraid if I don't marry this person, I may never get married, so fine. I married you out of fear. (laughs) And people do that all the time. And everything else. I have a dream of what I want to do with my life, but I'm afraid that I'm going to look like an idiot if I keep trying to do that dream, so I'm just going to settle for this. And so the message of Christmas starts out with, stop being afraid. Stop living your life controlled by fear. Because fear is what's been holding you back. 
Maybe fear is why you shepherds are still shepherds. Maybe if your life is going to get better, it's going to come because you gain some, some sense of, of stability and dependability and you're willing to step out of your comfort zone, which in fact is what they did, which is pretty amazing. But so he says, don't be afraid. So the message of Christmas always starts with this. Stop living your life by fear. Stop doing things because you're afraid not to. Stop not doing things because you're afraid to do them. Message of Christmas, for behold, I bring you good tidings. The the word good tidings there in the Greek is the same word that's translated gospel in other places. It's good, I have good news for you. It's good for us to remember that the message of Christmas is good news. Sometimes we can turn everything into bad news. Sometimes we can go, you know, like, yes, Jesus came, but here's the bad news. He didn't come for you unless you stop living the way that you're living, unless you'll start being good. If you're, you know, so actually this is condemning you because, no, it's good news, pure and simple. And he goes on and says, good tidings of great joy. Do you associate joy with your life and your identity? And do you even associate joy with Christmas? Or is Christmas something that you have to get through, you have to work through it? Or Christmas reminds you of what you don't have? Christmas reminds you of how alone you feel? Christmas bums you out because it's expensive. You, a lot of people go into debt at Christmas and it takes them until like July to pay off their debts from it. And so it's anything but joy. And yet we know it's a holiday. It's supposed to be a celebration, but it's easy for the joy to be sucked out of even a good thing like Christmas. You know, the, in Nehemiah, the Lord revealed to Nehemiah as people were bummed because you know, they, were, they heard the law and they're like, oh man, we are so messed up. And they were weeping. And that's what you think, oh God, I found out I'm wrong, I should weep. If, you know, I know with kids, you, they learn. I remember when uh, um, my son Will was so strong-willed that when we would, I don't know, I think there's a statute of limitations on spanking kids, but we'd spank him, he would like, it wouldn't even phase him. And he'd be like, no, and he's being all rebellious. My younger son, Danny, I heard Danny, he was always had such a soft heart, it seemed like. But I heard Danny talking to Will one time, and he goes, Will, just like when they talk to you, just act like you're sorry and start crying and stuff, and then you're off the hook. <laughs> but, you know, the people were doing that, and God said to them, quit your whining. He said, Rejoice. Okay, you know you're wrong? Rejoice, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. That little phrase is so important, because the truth is, if we don't have joy, we don't have strength. People are drawn to those who have experienced joy. People are pushed away from people who don't. Now, if people look at you at Christmas, or you look in the mirror and you go, This is anything but a joyful time. Then guess what? You don't understand Christmas. And you are, in fact, weakening yourself by 
forcing yourself to look at a negative, critical side of what you don't have or how hard things are or, oh, well, how bad this is. And yes, there are all kinds of reasons to be bummed out in the world, but none of them will make you stronger. It's only the joy of the Lord that makes you stronger. That is your strength. When people look at Christians, and if they think, They're, those people are pretty miserable most of the time. Again, as I've said before, nobody's going to come up to you and go, you know, you seem like you're mostly grumpy and miserable and negative and critical. And so, like, how can I be as miserable as you are? <laughs> no, one's, no one's drawn to that. But if people see someone who has joy, they seem to really... Even despite the circumstances, they're able to smile and laugh, and, and they're not just like picking everybody else apart to pull everyone else down. They're trying to lift other people up. That has strength. And so here, as the Christmas story unfolds on that Christmas morning to the shepherds, he says, you guys better understand, it's not about fear. It's good news, and it's of great joy. If we don't experience joy today, we don't understand Christmas, ultimately, no matter what's going on. But then, the radical thing, which will be to all people. Christmas isn't just for the good people. Christmas isn't just for the well-off people. Christmas isn't just for the end crowd. I mean, get this, Christmas isn't just for Christians, It's not just, sorry, we don't want you to celebrate our, oh, Santa Claus, Christmas trees, oh, you're just corrupting. No, Christmas is for everyone, all people. Because, see, God can use the event of Christmas to draw people to himself. It's what he desired to do. If we start looking at it exclusively and say, well, because you're not in my family or you're not from my country or you don't speak my language or you don't share my politics, then sorry. My Christmas is for me and my people. If you live that way, you're going to be miserable, and you're also not going to have very many people eventually. If, if I would only allow, if I would only go to church with people who agree with me on almost everything, I could do church in my office, you know? <laughs> I could find a few people that would be nice enough to pretend like, yeah, we're with you. But it's for all people. Christmas is something that when it happened, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't distinctly Jewish. It had been predicted in the Jewish scriptures. But it was such a radical thing, the promise that this is for everyone. This isn't just for us. It's something that is a general offer. It's why John 3.16 says, For God, and speaking of Christmas, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because he loved the world. If your theology says that he only came for some people, he only came for people who were the elect or whatever, I think you have a lot of scriptures that might get in the way of that. And I believe in divine election and things like that. It's a bigger topic than what we're capable of completely putting together. But Christmas is for all the people. I didn't say it, an angel said it to the shepherds. So I choose to believe it rather than to go, well, I don't think that was really what he meant. It's for all people, and so our Christmas should be open to all people. In fact, Christmas should be a time when we start to 
really spread our awareness. We start to look and expand the borders of who we connect with. Christmas is a chance to make connections with all of the people that God created, all the ones that he loved, all the ones that he died for. And so this inclusiveness is uh, something that the angels introduced here day one, Christmas the first one. And then in verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Born to you? These shepherds are like, okay, if you tell me that a woman, a godly, saintly woman is going to have a baby, cool. But you're saying we're going to have a baby? And the angel's going, I know what I'm talking about. Trust me. It's He is being born to you. Yes, he is coming through a woman, a a wonderful, godly example of a woman. But in the end, you are having a baby as much as she is because this child coming into the world is going to be for all people and as a result identifies with you personally. And so unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. That's kind of a strange thing to call a baby. When we have a baby, we think that we are supposed to protect that baby as long as possible. And then eventually you think, well, I hope I live long enough and my kid grows up and is able to earn a living enough that someday they can support me. Someday they can save me. But I'm not expecting my kid to save me now unless they're like a child actor and you're going to mess up the rest of their life by cashing in a few bucks on them and then they can write a book about how horrible you were. But, you know, that aside, most people don't think in terms of this child is exactly what I need to rescue me. But that radical statement, unto you is born a savior. Jesus didn't just come as an inspiration. He didn't just come to be cute. He didn't come to cause us to want to give gifts to each other. He didn't, call, he didn't come because he loves the color red or you know he just likes that festivities or he's so thankful that now because of me, you, know, you can have football on Saturday and Sunday. No, he came to rescue us. Now, maybe even for the, for the shepherds, they kind of wondered about that because they're like, yeah, I don't have the greatest job in the world. I'm living out here in a field and have to sleep out with these sheep and everything, but, you know, I don't think I really need rescued. I'm okay. I can run if I have to. I've got a stick. I've got a sling. I can protect myself. But for almost everyone else, they are, for the most part, even more convicted. A savior? I'm good. I'm fine. And there are still people today who just think, okay, Christmas is offering me a savior. So this baby in a manger could grow up and save me. You know, I didn't ask to be saved. I didn't say I needed to be saved. And so really the majority of people in this world don't even want a savior because they have no concept of what their life could be. They have no concept of eternity. They have no concept of what it would be to actually connect with God and be related to him, that's such a foreign concept that, and as in this case, Christmas is a time when 
A baby isn't being given to you so that you can save them. A baby is being given to you so that that baby can save you. I know lots of people, I've talked to a lot of people in my life who testified that when they had their baby, it saved them. All of a sudden, they were irresponsible. They didn't know what was going on. They all of a sudden, wow, you're holding this baby, and you're just going, I want to protect that baby, but the truth is, that baby did something in me that made me rise to the occasion and want to do something with my life for that child. Well, that's the kind of imagery that we get from him. It's that he's there to save us. He's there. I mean, some of you, you talk about rescue dogs. And people always say, well, who rescued who? There are so many people who say they were rescued by their dog that they rescued. Well, in a much greater sense, Christmas, right from the get-go, was like, this isn't just, isn't just a cute baby. This isn't just a refreshing breath of fresh air and responsibility for you. This is your savior. And today, if you don't understand what it means that that baby grew up to die for you so that you could be saved, and saved just means you had no future, you had no hope without what that child could do for you. He offers himself right from the beginning. This isn't something he cooked up after, you know, he was 32, 33 years old. I guess I better save people. No, the shepherds heard from the angels, you're going to have a savior. The one thing that you need in life more than anything else for your survival is that child. Is that child who is going to be born. He is going to rescue you. He's going to save you from everything that is destroying you. He is Christ. He's the Messiah. In other words, he's the one who the Old Testament had predicted and prophesied in many, many places, but in Mike in particular, it even says where he was going to be born, which was really freaky that God was able to maneuver that so that that's exactly where, you know, Mary and Joseph would have to go in order to fulfill that prophecy just by doing something that the government was requiring of them. He's, he's the Messiah, and he's the Lord. That baby is God. Now, we can look at that and say, and, and I even think of these shepherds like, what are you talking about? You're, you're saying that this baby is the Lord? How can a baby be the Lord? And the angel's like, how can an angel talk to you on the hillside? How, do you think any of this looks like natural? There's some sort of naturalistic explanation for it? I'm telling you, if I can talk to you and I'm an angel, then I can tell you that that baby that you're going to meet in Bethlehem is the Messiah. He's your Savior, but he's God. Everything there is to God is in that child. Everything. He is, you know, in him, all the fullness, Paul said in Colossians, all the fullness of the Godhead is in him in a bodily form. <laughs> Everything there is to God. As John said in John 1, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's God. 
And Christmas doesn't remind us of a little kid who grew up to become God. He didn't become God. He always was. And at the same time, he was willing to let go of everything that he was entitled to because there wasn't a way for us to connect directly to God until God became one of us. I mean, that's, and he was, the fact that he was willing to do that is remarkable. It's amazing that he would do that. But God had tried to speak to people, as, as Hebrews 1 says, God who spoke in different times in different ways to the fathers by the prophets, but he has in these last days spoken unto us in his Son. That's why over and over again Jesus is called the Word of God. The complete revelation of all of the existence of God is in him. And here are these angels who had no theological understanding, and they really had no audience. Who were they going to tell? Sheep? But it was like they were special all of a sudden. All of a sudden, you are becoming something that you weren't because of a baby that you haven't seen. You don't know their family, but you're going to meet them. And here's who he is. And I would rather tell people who cannot testify in court, because I'm not trying to prove anything, God would say. He's like, I don't need to convince anybody of anything. So I'm going to tell the people who probably are going to be the least likely to be believed, but I just couldn't shut up about it. Here's what just happened. This child that was born, the son who was given. And so he goes on and he says, and here's a sign. You'll know this is true when you go and find a baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes, which wasn't unusual at all, lying in a manger. That was unusual. Somehow, when they got to town, there wasn't a room available. They went probably to a relative's house, probably a distant relative who probably resents them for having moved away from Bethlehem to run off to you know, Nazareth. And here they are. So they had a room in back where the animals would stay, and baby Jesus is laying there in a manger. And the shepherds, when they would go and see that, they're like, whoa. How did that angel know that? Something really weird going on. And so then a whole bunch of angels showed up and start. They just couldn't, couldn't hold it back. Glory to God in the highest on our earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to heaven to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried down and they found Mary and Joseph and Jesus was lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they went and told everybody. They made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Nobody ever took the shepherds seriously. But a story like this... And then they go, look, you can go there yourself. And probably other people did. Like, you guys aren't smart enough to make up something like this. This is pretty incredible. But it says, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds just left, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen as it was told to them. (laughs) They went back to work. Mary was going... Wow, I knew it was weird that I was having a baby. I know it's weird that angels were talking to me. I know it's weird that an angel talked to Joseph as well. I know it's weird that my cousin Elizabeth had God speaking to her through her husband as well. 
But now, shepherds of all people, that they would even have an inkling of what was going on and then come and tell us. And you look at the looks on their faces and they were truly reverent and worshipful. And, you know, she doesn't even mention the guy that came and played the drum solo, the drummer boy. But, you know, (laughs) she's like, I got to think about this one. She didn't, like, make a plan for, you know, how can I write a book about this? In fact, this whole story, she kept it in her heart probably until she shared it with Luke. Luke was a historian and a physician who later on wanted to write the whole story of Christianity, and so he wrote the book of Luke and Acts all as one book. Because as Paul was in prison later, you know, in the 60s, then they, they needed something to defend him to explain what he believed. And so Luke went and interviewed people. He wasn't there, but Mary was. She pondered this whole story in her heart. And then when Luke came, she goes, you know what? Never really told anybody about this. But let me tell you what happened. And laid the story out. The story that would change the world forever. Communicated through shepherds that we don't even know their names. Communicated to Mary and Joseph, who kind of sat on it. Who years later in aging Mary shares the story with Luke, changed all of history. Everything that's in here is all the reasons why we rejoice today, why we have hope today, why we don't have to live in fear today, because we understand the baby was our Savior. The baby was God. Now, if you hear this story, and you know, you're probably used to hearing it on Christmas, you Kind of have to, you know, hear the Christmas story if you're going to get a free meal and all and get some presents. But I want you to understand, this was for you. This was for everyone. This, he didn't just save religious people. There were plenty of religious people there that never believed this story, that would never believe in him. And some of the most messed up people in the world are the ones who heard the story and went, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I'm going to buy into that. And so, he extends the invitation to each of us on Christmas to decide, you know what? What those shepherds heard from the angel, it was for me. I need to be saved. I need to be rescued. I need to have a reason for joy and for hope. Christmas is God's way of saying, you know, look, I know you've heard all about Christmas. Here's the heart of what it all means. And he wants you to connect with him. He wants you to be like the shepherds and realize this is very personal. This is real. This is my source of joy for my life. I pray that if you've never made the decision to receive him as your savior, you'll recognize today on Christmas What he did at Christmas wasn't just cool. It was for you. It was because he loved you that much. God loved the world, including you, that much to go through all this trouble so that you can find hope and joy in a place where you never could before. I pray that for each of us, we will be caught up in the true spirit of Christmas. Yeah, I know, if you're getting together with people, some of them are people that if you weren't related to them, you'd never have anything to do with them. That's okay. 
You think it was fun sleeping in a barn? Sometimes you do what you have to do to see the joy that follows. And I pray that for each of us, as we see Christmas for what it truly is, that the details, they don't matter. That even if today you feel like, I feel kind of alone today. Some people do. Some people feel that way on Christmas. How do you think Mary felt and Joseph? She's looking at Joseph, and Joseph's like, I don't know, man. Is that Whose baby is that? And then here come these shepherds that nobody believes them anyway, and they're having this thing. Christmas wasn't an easy time. It wasn't glamorous at all. There weren't, like, lights and cameras. and It was a very simple story. And yet, in that story, the whole hope of the world lies. So whatever your day is like today, even if you're all alone, and, like, you came to church hoping somebody would talk to you and no one does, you know what? It's still for you. It's still, you have everything you need to experience joy in this Christmas season, and I, and I really pray that you do experience that. I hope people are nice to you too, but that's not where the joy comes from. It comes from that child who was born, that son who was given, the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the details that you allowed Mary to tell us about because the shepherds told her and all the pieces she put together that decades later she shared the story with Luke so he could write it down so that we could witness that amazing night. God, I pray that you would help us to represent you well in the way that we celebrate Christmas, that it would be a time of great joy, that we would understand how blessed we are, no matter what our circumstances are, that we are blessed to be the people who were saved by the Savior of the world who came on, on Christmas in order to rescue us. It's for all of us, and, and we're grateful. And Lord, if there's somebody listening or watching online or here today who they've never really come to the point where they acknowledged you as their Savior. They always just thought you had cute baby pictures. Lord, I pray that you'll help them to know this Christmas story, it was for them, and that they can receive you today. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.